Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. <laughs> Coming to you for our post post uh what was the name of that conference we were at? <laughs> uh Church X X something. X Church Planner Com no. Bo Church Planner Expo. Oh, there we go. The Church Planner Expo. The checks. I am uh I am more glad than most that we are out of Florida, which oh. uh this week, we're actually going to play a interview that we did. We're going to do it, I don't know, we'll release it Wednesday or Thursday, one of the interviews we uh, recorded there at Exponential. And um, you'll get to hear of uh, how miserable I was personally at the heat and humidity of Florida. It was, it was crazy. It was so hot there, and Pete was sweating so much, he went down to a 32 waist. <laughs> So my wife pretty much said uh, that I have to stay there, you know, a couple months a year and, you know, come back. So people were jealous. They're like, what are you doing hanging out with that redhead? Where's Pete? Came by the booth. (laughs) You know what? People, people always do that. Hey, you know what? Speaking of our booth, I think some of the coolest stuff was when, um, you remember the guy, I don't remember his name. I'm sure you remember it because you talked to him for a while and he's like, Hey, you guys are the church planner podcast. I listen to you every day. (laughs) Yeah. And then Pete's head went, you know, his body was small, but his head got really big. Well, what was really cool is because most everybody else was like, I don't know what you guys are, so uh, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, I and I started pulling out my line from last year where I'd hand guys cards and go, hey, man, your wife called. She said you need encouragement, and I'd slap them with our card. And oh, did you? Like, yeah, they'd look at me like, you're a jerk. Oh, I remember one of the things I was going to talk about. Okay. This is uh, this is something that people need to understand. Peyton's got two daughters. One of them, how old is Libby? Five? <laughs> oh, yeah. She's five. Uh, Libby has not liked me ever. 
So, I mean, you know, on one hand, it's like, I don't want little kids to not like me. But on the other hand, it's a little kid. So, it's you know, it's, what are you going to do, right? I mean. Yeah, but your son likes me. He calls me. What is it he calls Jesus me? steak. Jesus, Jesus steak. Yeah. I'll take it. So, um, apparently, at this particular conference, I became Libby's best bud ever. And we're at lunch one day, and Peyton is full-on in a conversation with um, the guy who runs uh, Calvary University. And totally leaving me to deal with Libby, who is like, to to steal the line from uh, Hugh Halter, she went spider monkey all over me. And would Absolutely. not leave me alone. And the best part, I mean, she had these balloons and she'd be like, no, you have to play with the balloons with me. You know, like throwing them back and forth and stuff. And and um, and then like a couple of days later, Peyton and I are talking and Peyton goes, um, no, no, be honest with me, man. Was Libby bothering you? And I'm like, dude, you know, we don't have to have one of those moments where, you know, I can finally confide in you. I would have told you she was driving me up the freaking wall the whole time. That, I mean, that picture that I posted on Facebook was so classic where you're just like, <laughs> that was, was at dinner. It's like, have you ever seen that, that, that old Looney Tunes uh, cartoon where the little kitty is like pulling on that big bulldog's ear? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the bulldog's just like, okay. <laughs> and, and the problem is like Libby is really into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I don't know who got her into that, but anyways, I went to Target and I bought a bunch of like foam, like samurai swords and foam noom checks and. Uh, I think I think I just said new checks. You did. I thought maybe it was a British thing. No, no, no and none checks. Anyway, so I I went and I bought all this like teenage mutant ninja turtle stuff, you know, hoping she'd be into it. Dude, she is. She's like whacking the crud out of everybody. Like Andrea actually has her now. She has to say before she karate chops anyone, she has to say ninja engage, so everyone's ready because otherwise she's like totally like sucker punching us all over the place so that yeah, picture you know, though we were at dinner that one night yeah, and like she, she was she was spider monkey ninja all over you she was and so the picture is she's got a knife in my arm she's got her <laughs> napkin up on my shoulder she's decorated my arm with stickers and i'm like yeah this was the only seat available was sitting next to libby i mean she's a great gal and all but she did go spider monkey all over me absolutely is someone getting a call right now uh, that would be my wife calling, forgetting that we have the podcast every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Yeah, she just figured you were late again. She could get in a call. So here's a deal. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the exponential dolphin, because mm. that, that was my favorite <laughs> part of the conference. <laughs> so I brought this uh, this dolphin. If you guys haven't seen these helium monstrosities it's you can get like sharks you can get fish um this one i happened to find was a dolphin and you fill up the dolphin with helium and it's got all these counterweights on it it's got a, a tail and it's a remote control dolphin that you can literally float around a building and you know just like float it around because it's remote control you can go right left up or down i mean just like a plane only it's really cool because you know, it's a helium balloon. So it was like 10 bucks at Fry's. So I bought a couple of them. And uh, so took it to the conference for us to use. And I printed out a big sign, you know, like, I can't remember what it said. It was like, you know, subscribe to Church Planner Magazine and stuck it on the side of the dolphin. And um, 
got it to work the first day and it was fun, you know, I'm floating it all around the place. And then the second day, you know, Libby was really excited because she wanted to see the dolphin. And so we take it out from underneath the table and I forget to turn it on. Like, cause you got to turn on the remote and then you got to turn it on, on the dolphin as well. And I yeah. totally forgot to do it. And so, you know, boom, it just floats all the way up to the top. <laughs> it's like, we're talking like, we're not talking like the roof in your house. We're talking no. like we're in this hall, man. And we're talking like 30 foot up in the air. Yeah. And the so the only way we could get boom. it down is to take another helium balloon put double-sided tape on it and actually get it back down. And there was a guy named Tyrone who was kind enough to actually uh, get the thing down for us. <laughs> My daughter Tyrone, team. remember he goes, he goes, I'm the whitest Tyrone you'll ever meet. Yeah. Cause he's yeah, white. He, he's like, I'm the only non-black Tyrone, you know, <laughs> yeah. but you know, we, man, we met so many cool people there. Like literally, like there, there were just so many cool people coming by. The we met this one guy who I could have sworn I thought was like uh, an Air Force pilot, and uh, so we're talking to him about his church plant, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, we meet on Saturdays." And for I don't even know what, all of a sudden Peyton goes, "You Seventh Day Adventist?" <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> I could feel it. You could feel it. And then he kind of sheepishly goes. Yeah, I'm Seventh-day Adventist. And then, of course, to you and me, that's like the greatest thing we could ever hear from someone because of the Family Guy clip, yeah. which uh, which for those of you that have heard us go, what, all the time and have no idea what we're taking that from, I'm going to play for you the audio from the Family Guy Seventh-day Adventist clip. Here it is. I'm a Methodist. We believe that the Lord is our Savior, and we remember Him by going to church and praising Him every Sunday. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. We believe all the same things that you believe, but we go to church on Saturdays. What? <laughs> oh, it's the greatest clip ever, as far as it I'm is concerned. Funny. And you were laughing like a schoolboy before this playing it for me and it is funny if you ever if you get the chance to download that and watch the visuals the all the noises afterwards like the looney tune sound effects are the are the methodists freaking out it is the funniest thing and it's just it was just funny because we're trying to describe this to this guy who's like straight as an arrow like i could have sworn that he was with the air force he just had that kind of cut to him and the way he carried himself and we're trying to explain this like, you know, like only a Beavis and Butthead would. And I don't know. I don't think it went over as well. Hopefully he's listening right now and now he understands what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're they're pretty cool. You know, they, a lot of people thought they're cults. But um, Walter Martin did a bunch of research and a lot of, you know, they're not a cult. And But I said to him, man, that must be kind of hard for you to, to kind of tell people because there's still a stigma about Seventh-day Adventists. Well, he even said it was. He was like, yeah, you know, I try to avoid it here at this conference whenever possible. Here I was, man. I was like a heat-seeking missile, you know. Yeah. Ratted him out. So, yeah, um, play us play us the other clip you got. That's All right. Funny. We did get another call into the uh, Church Planner podcast, which you, too, can call in and leave us a message. You just call 562-553-0004. It's a voice message line. Just leave us a voicemail, and uh, we'll make fun of you. We will. We will. And this one especially I, I enjoyed. So here you go. Hey, Pete. Hey, Peyton. This is Jonathan Ferguson out in Nairobi. Just listening to uh, episode 66 where you're talking about the uh, iTunes warnings on uh, 
your Church Planner magazine, you know, just listening to your podcast and downloading your podcast actually triggered something <laughs> on my internet accountability software thanks to a couple that were listed as explicit. So, uh, yeah, my wife got all worried and freaked out thinking something had happened, and it turns out I was just downloading your, your podcast. So thanks, guys, for helping me to have that wonderful conversation with my wife. Uh, blessings, guys. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Church Planner Podcast, always there to help keep you accountable. I think it's the best that just downloading our podcast triggered the uh, Net Nanny software, whatever software he's using. That's just the yeah, best. You know, I have Net Nanny. That's what I actually have on my computer, and it's never triggered mine. Well, see, maybe Net Nanny is not as good as you think it is. Hey, it's because I don't actually look at porn, so my porn software is not on high alert. You know, you know what probably happened? It was like. You know, Jonathan's wife's like, hey, um, why did the uh, the uh, porn software go off? And you know what he probably said. He was probably just like, hey, Peyton and Pete were unclean. <laughs> I, I was doing research. I was doing research. There you go. We actually shouldn't joke about that because porn is actually nothing to joke about. But oh, come on. This is something funny, and we can joke about it and should joke about it. Well, his call is definitely funny. I mean, you know, because any dude that's had that conversation knows that that's no fun. So anyways, hey, let's, uh, of course. No, really, it's the Church Planner podcast. Really? (laughs) (laughs) No, you know what? Um, So, you know, the coolest thing for me about being at that thing was getting to follow uh, Hugh Halter uh, at the pre-conference, not not because I'm like, hey, I get to follow Hugh Halter, right? That would kind of suck because that guy brought the house down. But uh, for me, it was watching him sell books. Holy crap. That guy <laughs> could sell books, man. What I think was the best about that is, um, see, I do a lot of seminars. Like this week, Monday, Tuesday, I helped put on a uh, real estate seminar. We had like 650 people at it. So I'm always looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, the cells, the dynamics of the room, things like that. And what I loved about your talk right after Hughes is um, it was Vince, right? It was Vince Antonucci who went up there and was like, um, okay, guys, uh, we're going to have Peyton Jones speak next, and we don't have enough time to take a break. (laughs) So everyone had to stay in the room to listen to you. I thought that was the the best. The first thing I said was I said, hey, you guys, uh, all of you that were here to see Hugh Halter, but you're still sitting here. Thank you. Yeah, because <laughs> they didn't release him. Because, you know, yeah. how demotivating would that be if all of a sudden they're like, okay, we're going to take a five-minute break and the whole room empties out. And you're like, absolutely crickets. You know, you're speaking in front of like three people. He's so mellow, too. Like, I would imagine it, it was funny. Like, if you ever had a lineup of three guys – that were so different. It was right there. There was. He was yeah. cool, man. He was like, uh, I, I like the way he communicates. If you ever have heard someone who really, when he's talking, just seems like he doesn't give a rip, <laughs> that's you, man. He's like, yeah, so, you know, this and that. He's not polished. He's not performing. He's not out to impress anybody. He's just literally just talking about, you know, his thing. And uh, he's cool, man. He's really cool to watch. And then you get me, and I can't help but like get super animated when I talk. It's what I do, right? And I'm not, I'm not. I just get really passionate. If you if you get me talking about something, particularly something out of the word, and uh, it was something something to do with Church Zero. I think it. I can't remember. Oh, you know what? I got talking about the Holy Spirit, 
and I'm working on another book, um, and it and it has to do with how the Holy Spirit's kind of been ripped out of you know most of what we do. And they use Tozer's quote where you know uh, in the early church, if you rip uh, rip the Holy Spirit out of the church, ninety five percent of what they did would stop. But in the modern church, if you rip the Holy Spirit out, 95% of what we do would continue. And so that was kind of the gist of the talk. And so I'm all passionate. Hmm. And then the guy right after me, I felt so bad for him because I'm talking about all this supernatural stuff and all the stuff that you can't manipulate, you can't have happen, and you need God to <laughs> up in there. The guy right after me gets up there and talks about marketing methods. And I felt so bad for him because I'm like, man, if if they had like ever put three guys together where the audience is just like being jarred back and forth, you know, like where in the heck are we now? How did we get here? It was just, it, there was no flow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's if people actually, you know, took what you listened. said seriously. If, if they actually listened. Yeah. If they, <laughs> if they were paying attention, we saw the one guy sitting right next to us. I mean, he was on the internet the whole time looking at Facebook. So, you know, they yeah, that's how we found that room. pizza place, by the way. I know. Libby was tormenting you. I was looking over. I'm like, dude, where's that pizza from? <laughs> and it was. It was great pizza. But, uh, but pizza you know, ever. one other thing that I'll comment on about the uh, the Exponential Conference was um, you had three different talks there. Thank you for this. And I'm pointing this out because I <laughs> it was hilarious to me, right? It was so funny, all right? So the first talk Peyton has, he's right after Hugh Halter. Maybe it's because he was right after Hugh Halter. I mean, he cracks the Bible open. He's reading from the Bible. I mean, you oh, know, yeah. the the very thing that you guys remember, we had that one episode where Peyton was like going on this rant. And, you know, these guys at these pastors conference are not even cracking the Bible open. They're not even reading it. I'm like, well, let's hold on a second here. You know, I don't. I, I can't just jump right into that with you because I, I don't know the context. I don't know, you know, everything that's going on. And and you, uh, to your credit, didn't want to name names. You, you didn't want to say it was this conference and it was this speaker and how could you be doing this? Because you don't want to publicly say something like that. You'd rather talk to them privately about it. I respect that. No, and everybody has a bad day occasionally, Pete, after all. Right? <laughs> now you say everybody occasionally has a bad day. So the third talk comes up, last talk of the week. It's really early in the morning. I don't know what it was, like 8.30, 8.45. And we're from California, so that's like 5.30 for us, right? And we go into this meeting. It's a rough crowd because everyone is like, you know, brain dead by this point and and I'm listening to Peyton speak, and he's not quoting the Bible. He's like, you know, and remember, this is what Paul did, and this is what Paul said. And not once does he crack the Bible and read word for word the very thing that he had jumped all over that other conference for doing. And I thought it was kind of funny myself. It was funny. And and the reason it was funny was because, you know, this place is like a maze, right? Like, Oh, here's the excuse. Oh, yeah, let's let's bring in the excuse. Go for it. Well, yeah, of course. Of course I have an excuse. And so, you know. <laughs> I couldn't find my Bible, man. It was in my back pocket. Yeah, we can't even find where I'm going to speak. And so, like, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to head to the right room. And I have a really funny story about that. So that was great. Yeah, the day before with Kevin. Yeah, the day before. Because the same thing. No one knew where in the heck they're supposed to be. Um, it was like trying to navigate a maze. And so I get there. We get there like with seconds to spare. And Pete and I like left early, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
And uh, we get there, and I'm kind of flustered. Like, I'm not really prepared. And all these people are sitting in the room, and I got to preach to them. And the whole time I'm up there, I know that I haven't, excuse me, I haven't cracked the Bible, but I don't have my notes in front of me. And I'm, I, I, it was just bad. And the whole time I'm talking, I'm unnerved because I'm thinking, oh, excuse me, I'm burping. I'm thinking, I haven't even read the Bible yet. And, and, and but I'm going now. <laughs> it's like, and I know Pete's thinking it. And I know there's a dude who listens to the podcast right in front. And I know he's going, hey, Peyton, you crack the Bible. <laughs> so, hey, I, I'm just saying I need Jesus. But the day before, uh, which was even funnier, I walk into the same thing. I can't find the room that we're supposed to be in. I walk in and I go to the front. I set all my stuff up on the lectern. I look down and I see Kevin Ha sitting there. Now, Kevin Ha is uh, New City Church in L.A., and he's the head of the uh, L.A. church planning movement. Um, and and I I looked down, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Kevin Ha came to my session. I'm, you know, I'm humbled. I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> I look up, and there's a lot of people in there, and I'm like, this isn't my session. And I go, hey, are you guys all in the wrong room? Are you here for, you know, not am I in the, you know, in the wrong room? I mean, Kevin's just looking at me. He's sitting down in the front row, not too far from the pulpit, because I figured he wants to be close to me, right, while I'm teaching. Of course, he wants and, to get the spray. Uh, of course. And uh, maybe some of the anointing will trickle off. And as <laughs> I just realized, I'm in the wrong room. I'm like, are you guys uh, all here for, I can't remember what my topic was. And they go, uh, no. It's, that was the uh, Bivo talk. Yeah, the Bivo talk. They're like, no, it's... Uh, multi-ethnic church planning and cultural diversity. And I'm like, uh, uh, I look at Kevin. I'm like, sorry, Kevin, I'm too white, man. This is your class, isn't it? And he goes, yep. <laughs> and then and as leave. you leave, there was like, you know, all of your, uh, your, uh, your harem was following you. Me, oh, dude. a few other people were like, Oh, let's, let's follow after Peyton. It was awesome. I want to give those guys a shout out, actually, L.A. Church Planning Movement. I went to their meeting and speak of guys, you know, cracking the Bible and praying like I went to that L.A. Church Planning Movement is one of the coolest things going on right now. They uh, they have identified a hundred and I can't remember how many. Uh, it's like one hundred and thirteen, one hundred and nineteen or one hundred and thirty. Take your pick. I can't remember. But it's a hundred and something neighborhoods, distinct neighborhoods. Uh, that are in Los Angeles, and their goal is to plant one church planting hub in each of those areas. And it's in, in connection with Stadia, but not limited to Stadia. But when I say it's connected to Stadia, it means that there's money there. And and the reason that's important is because in each of those Most areas, people probably don't they, even know what Stadia is. Stadia is a church planning network, and one of their major strengths is that they fund the churches that they plant. They will fund the church planner. And so what they do, and we'll have the Stadia guys on here eventually to share their vision. But what they do with LA church planning movement is they've kind of let Stadia take the back seat. All they're passionate about is planting in LA. They don't care if you're Methodist, Baptist, Calvary Chapel, Pentecostal, Charismatic, you know, AOG. It doesn't matter to them. Um, what they've done is, you know, like in one of the districts, one of the neighborhoods, they've got like a handful of Presbyterian churches that are working together. Then in other ones, they've got like maybe three denominations in one of those neighborhods that have all pulled together. And 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 here's where it gets really interesting. 
not only are they crossing denominational lines, in other words, smashing up the empire to expand the kingdom, they're actually funding. These churches are funding church plants. And there was slide after slide when they're given the report of saying, this neighborhood has a fully funded church plant ready to go, just looking for the planner now. So if you've got a heart for L.A., uh, it's worth checking that out. But what impressed me most about the meeting is they kept saying, hey, you know, if you've planted in L.A. in the last two years, stand up, you know. And so here's me. I kept standing up for that. Are you going to plant another one? You know, and of course, we're involved with San Pedro. So I'm standing up again. And then, uh, you know, it, it was amazing because what they did at each turn. And this is my this is what I long to see. And you could feel the presence of God at this meeting. Um, they laid hands on people and prayed for them. And I was just like, you know, I'm home. You know, that's when I, when I go to these meetings, if, if it's not in any way resembling the book of Acts, if, if, in other words, if we get together and talk about what we should do and we've not talked to God at all, I got a problem with that, you know, and I'll keep my, I'll, I'll save the rant. You can, you can go back and hear my rant about this, but these guys were doing it right, man. And, and it's, it's a move of the spirit. It's, it's, it's very cool to watch what they're doing. See. I agree. And Kevin Kevin heads this. So when I walked in yesterday, he's like, "Hey Peyton," and he jokingly goes, "Are are you going to try to steal my talk today?" That's great. <laughs> That's so awesome. So, anyways, so uh, yeah, you know, man. before we we're going to talk today a little bit about um, actually one of the church planners who uh, a loyal listener of the podcast drove out to meet with us to have uh, lunch with us just so they could talk to us about their church and and get some. Uh, ideas and some insights. So we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But before we do, Peyton, I want you to share with everyone um, what's going on with Stanton, just because, you know, I kind of see this as today is almost like the uh, the Church Planner podcast grab bag again, you know, where we've got so many different things we want to talk about. But I just think it's so cool. Um, some of the stuff that you're seeing that you know you're on the the right path with with Stanton and what's going on with Stanton. So why don't you yeah. uh, share that story? Yeah one one of my uh, you, you guys have heard me say this before, but um, one of the ways that you know that you are on the right track um, is that you see more demonic activity. The enemy does kick off. Now I always say if you're on frontline mission, you'll see the activity of the Holy Spirit more, but you will also see the activity of, you know, demonic forces, um, you know, just opposition from from the other side. And, you know, yesterday was a case of that. Um, Stanton has been on my heart as long as um, I was in Wales, and I came back to a church planning conference here um, that I was speaking at, and I mentioned Stanton in passing because I, I it's still hard for me to imagine it. And that, that in Southern California, and, and particularly Orange County, which is a bit of a Bible Belt, um, that you would have cities like Stanton that still don't have church plants in them. And, of course, the reason is, is that Stanton is known for vice, um, cheap uh, strip, you know, hourly rate motels, prostitution. Um, the corner that we met at yesterday for a prayer meeting, um, someone had a hit and run yesterday. There's just tons of poverty there, um, tons of crime, and... There was a hit and run, and the dude ran over, a truck ran over a person um, and dragged them 100 feet down the road and still kept going. Now, you know when you're dragging a human being under your truck. Um, you know, and anyways, of course, the dude died. And uh, so Channel 7 was uh, news was there. 
but we actually uh, there was demonic activity when we met there to pray, and so I still have a hard time. I get I get angry at churches that uh, continue to build their own empires, and to me, there's just no excuse to build a bunch of mega churches in the rich uh, city surrounding Stanton and just to leave Stanton untouched. And my old adage that, of course, you're not going to plant there because there's no money there, right? There's only need, and we go where the need is, not where the money is, and so. Um, to me, it's like the man laying on the side of the road, and you know it takes a good Samaritan. It, you know, the Pharisees are walking by, the Levites are walking by, um, the priest is walking by. Um, somebody needs to go and help this broken, bleeding, festering wound of a city. And so we we basically got sick of people talking about it. And this was kind of a God uh, ordained um, connection, and the connections just keep getting cooler. I walked into a meeting yesterday. I'd set it up, but I had uh, tagged a few key players and said, look, tap some people you know that you think will be awesome for this. And so it was pretty cool, man. We had I walked in, and these guys were like powerhouses. I just felt like I was walking into, uh, I don't know, man, like like the Justice League headquarters. You know, you got Superman, Batman, you know. Uh, I won't say Aquaman because he's kind of lame unless you're in the water. But uh but but anyway, so as I'm in there, right, I meet the first guy. First guy is one of uh, Rick Warren's uh, satellite pastors, and um, he and I are talking. He's buying my coffee, and I look over and I see this uh, woman. She's obviously homeless. She's real thin, and she you can just see this anger rolling off of her. And I kid you not, I am not making this up. She uh, as I'm looking at her, I just turn to look at her. Um, this, uh, coffee, you know, Starbucks has those coffee stands in the middle and they sell like cups on them and stuff and bags of coffee. Well, there's one of those travel canisters that's standing there. Um, there's a bunch of cups and mugs and it just suddenly, as if someone just like pushed it, no one's bumped this stand. It's just, she's standing right and she doesn't move a muscle. Cause I, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, like that thing just completely like fell over and it fell over violently, you know, as if someone just like really gave it a shove. And I took a picture of it. Um, I haven't posted on Facebook, but I went over and took a picture later because when we actually sat down and we were, we were getting ready to pray, she walks out and she turns and looks at us. And I felt like she was saying it to me because the night before I was talking with Andrew, she's like, man, that's so far to go. You know, do you really need to be involved in, in, in this? And I was telling her, yeah, I do. Uh, I'm, I'm only the catalyst. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be planting, you know, we're just talking it over and, you know, wise use of time and blah, blah, blah. And she looks over and she's still got that anger, but she's very controlled. And she reminded me of like a corpse. If, if you could picture like, uh, a corpse being animated, you know, by a spirit, that's what it looked like. That's what it felt like to me. And I knew she was possessed already. But she, because uh, you get that, you get that like discernment of spirit. So when the cop had knocked over, I'm like, she's possessed, you know, obviously. But she looks and, you know, we couldn't really tell who she was looking at. Um, it was like she was looking at us in general. But she goes, did you travel far to get here? And I was like, oh, that's, uh, and, and I look at Gabriel, Gabriel Provincio, the guy that does street church in Pomona, um, has started doing work in, in Stanton as well. And I, I remember, Pete, you said he was one of the guys who 
had impacted you probably the most out of all the guys that um, he's, he's a pretty radical dude, but he yeah. just smiles and waves at her and says, God bless you. You know, and, and he deals with a lot of demoniacs and he's, he's got a great heart, just all this compassion, just rolling off of him, you know, just totally dripping the spirit. And, uh, and, and she walks away, she just turns and walks away. And, uh, and, and Gabriel looks at me and goes, bro, that, that chick, she, she needs to be delivered from that. And, uh, and he knew right away, you know, but, uh, see, I think that's, I think that's the really cool part. It wasn't just like you had this idea that you were looking at a demoniac. You're like, you know, there's someone else who's like, Oh, she's possessed. Yeah. Well, you know, in the week before, what was really weird is we had, you know, I, I get this stuff whenever I start getting busy. Like I've, I've talked before about like the poltergeist activity that, um, you know, obviously it's demonic, but, but by poltergeist, you mean things moving with no one touching them. And, uh, the week before we get these sometimes too. And we, we, I don't really have a term for these, but the week before we had just come back from exponential. And, uh, so I guess actually it was, it was, I was right before exponential. Sorry. It was right before we had already dropped our dog off and she wasn't in the house anymore. And I was putting Libby down and Andrew's in the bedroom. The baby was asleep. And suddenly we heard the song of the sound of like an animal in the hallway. So I'm right up, you know, I'm on the other side of the door putting, putting my five-year-old down. Andrew is in our bedroom with the door open, but it's in the hallway immediately outside of both of those doors. And, um, and we hear this animal. You, you ever hear where like an animal panics and it starts like the claws are going all over the floor and its body's hitting the walls. And we heard the snarl. We heard the, the, the walls getting hit, the door to the baby's room getting hit and claws all over. And, and I, I came out and I said to my wife, you know, what was that? And, and first, cause I'm, I'm at first I thought it was a dog, you know, and I thought, well, maybe the dog and the cat are fighting or something. And uh, of course my, my dog was dropped off at the mother-in-law's for exponential. She wasn't even there. And, uh, my wife's like, she, she's freaked out. She's like, that was demonic. And, um, so you, you know, you, you know, when that stuff's kicking off, it's always when I'm going deeper into the belly of the beast and I'm, I'm just engaging more on mission. Well, you know? happy days for everyone else. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was that too much? No, nah, it's just, I, it's crazy to me because, um, I, I've never been in one of those situations and I really, really don't want to be, you know, because yeah. like that, that freaks me out. You know, it's crazy. Like <laughs> my wife loves to watch criminal minds and uh, she's like, I can't watch it at night anymore. If you're not home. <laughs> not just, yeah. And there's the same. She can't watch it if I'm there, man. Cause she goes, when you go to sleep, man, my brain stays awake. Yeah. It's, it's just crazy. So it, it's like stuff like that. It just, I don't know. It's it, to me, TV doesn't scare me, right? TV movies don't scare me because I know it's not real. But when I know that it's real, that freaks me out, you know? Like, that just yeah. freaks me out. Well, speaking of that, and I know we got to get on our topic, but just something kind of funny as an aside. Um, I So I've started watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with Liberty, right? P- purely for her. Purely of for course. her. She likes it, right? And... uh and so in the very first episode, like there's no telling Liberty doesn't scare. She always tells me I'm not afraid of anything, daddy, but 
she got a little traumatized. We're watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and if anyone knows, you know, what have if you remember growing up as a kid watching this, there's these robots, and it, you know, their chest opens up, and there's this like little pink brain alien thing that hops out. That freaked the crud out of her, and uh, so now she's afraid to go to bed because she's afraid that they. And she calls it. She goes, "Daddy, the alien that comes out of the robot's chest might be in my room." <laughs> nice. Yeah, you know, eh, just you know, just to to lighten the mood a bit there. Of course, of course. Well, let's head into our topic, man. Tell, yeah. Tell us a little bit about who we met and what their deal was, and they were. Cool I only people. remember his name. I only remember his first name. Doug, Doug. Doug and Lisa. Doug and Lisa. There we go. You know, here's the interesting thing. So, um, Doug and Lisa, husband and wife, they drove out to Orlando from. Uh, where they're at in Florida. Uh, I think they said it was like an hour, hour and a half away, something like that. And just because they wanted to meet with us. Well, I mean, let me rephrase that. Just because they wanted to meet with you. <laughs> it's a package deal where you go, there I go with you. Well, well, they they did say, didn't they, in the email, they said, Pete, you were helpful too. <laughs> they did. <laughs> it was like an afterthought. And wow, Pete actually had an idea. <laughs> so, so, um, Anyway, they came out, and here's the interesting thing about them. They've got a church that uh, they planted. Didn't he say it was like 10 years ago? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it's not a brand new church, but I'll tell you what impressed me the most is, you know, they're talking about the issues that they've got, how they're trying to go, how they're trying to um, to reach the lost, and the thing that impressed me the most is I think they said they had like around 175 people that attend and they were ready to blow it up if need be and start all over. And it just, that impressed me. It impressed me like they're more concerned about reaching the lost than they are about, you know, building the tower of Babel as we talk about so much on this. Yeah. And, and they, they had red shirt syrup. Cha-ching! They had. Yeah they had in fact their comment was i don't know how that got put into the bag at that conference where they got it and you go i'm convinced they didn't read it because they got it as a a freebie um at one of the conferences that they had attended Yeah, i had i had arranged to uh have a free copy given to every pastor at a a particular conference and i knew this was like a grenade it's like pulling the pin out of a grenade and stick it in your bag that's what that book is if if it doesn't fire you up it's going to jack you up yeah. Absolutely going to jack you up. It's it's going to change, and that's that's how these guys were. They were a little bit jacked up and a little bit fired up, and in a good. I'd way, say I'd very fired up, yeah. Because yeah. like he, he, even they said like he he made the comment. He goes, "Look, I've read like three books, and yours just happened to be one of them." He goes, "I'm not a reader by nature," and um and Lisa had said, you know, the chapter that really stuck out to her is why your church sucks. Yeah, she's like, you know, this is speaking right to us, and um. So why don't why don't you share with everyone a little bit about some of the problems that they're facing and the opportunities that they've got? Because the reason why we want to talk about this is I think there are some ideas here that other church planners can take and and utilize, and that's really what we want Absolutely. to focus on. You know, and and part of it is you know the church planners always looking for that day where they get their own building, right? And and that can be a big mistake because. Um, it's kind of like Rick Warren saying, you know, when I was small, I wanted everyone to think big, but now that we're big, 
I want everyone to think small. You know, you, you always want what you don't have. And so what was really cool about Doug and Lisa is they have this building. They know that it's got potential for use. And the way that it was turned around was, was almost like turning around the conversation to say, go back to your early days of church planning. Start thinking like that again. And, and what was really cool was, I mean, they were, you know, they were just really neat people and their heart, like you're just sitting across the table from them and they had a really cool heart. They really loved the Lord. They really loved the lost in their community. And I got a sense from them. They'll do whatever it takes. And, and they were willing to let me stop off at the Holy Land experience sign so I could take a picture <laughs> they, in front of it. <laughs> they did. Pete was dying and, you know, Pete could not wait to go. He's like, dude, we got to go to that sign and take a picture. And we, we went to like, it must've been the back entrance. It was like the ghetto entrance. Right. And, uh, we lucked across it because we're looking for Starbucks. I think some divine, uh, <laughs> just so we can get a picture in front of the Holy land experience sign. I love it. Yeah, We were looking for a Starbucks and it took us into a residential park. And as soon as we poured out of the residential park, we're like, well, we're kind of lost. Boom. There was the ghetto sign for, uh, cause you know, they got the big one that's as big as your house and like, you know, looks like anything TBN does, you know, it's like over the top, but we had this little, like, must've been their old sign. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and we went and took a picture in front of that, but, um, I, I will not forget driving down the freeway and seeing the 30 foot tall Jesus next to the ark and the golden city and laughing our heads off at that sign. Yeah. That was one of my favorite times. It's great. But, Good stuff. Yeah. But anyways, going back to, uh, Doug and Lisa, here's the deal. Uh, they, um, have this building and they're like, it needs to be used. And what was really cool is that Pete kind of, before I had a chance to, to answer Pete, um, said, well, oh, gosh, man. Well, you know, let's, let's, before we get to that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, so they'd been a church plant, you know, 10 years ago, they had a, you know, a decent sized church. I mean, you know, most, most churches would be, you know, tickled pink if they had 150 to 200 people. And, um, the opportunity came up for them to buy some property a little bit further away. Didn't they say it was like 10 miles away from where their church had been? Yeah. So, uh, and it was another church's property that had basically died. Wasn't it a Methodist yeah. or who was it? Do you remember? It, it was, it was, uh, I think it was Methodist. I might be wrong, but I, I thought they said it was Methodist. And, um, and so it has, we haven't seen it, nor have we seen pictures of it, but the way it was described to us is it has, an old, uh, you know, church building on the property as well as a new building on the property. And kind of what happens is a lot of us have seen over the years in churches, it's like people are so used to how you do church that they, they don't like change very much. Yeah. And so there was a whole group of people that wouldn't go to the new building, even though it's, you know, a hundred feet away. They just wanted to do church in the old building because that's how they knew church was, you know, very, I'm sure it was, you know, formal, sing hymns, um, definitely didn't have a praise band, you know, probably yeah, no, an they, old pipe they, organ they, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And they came in and when they, when they, uh, you know, everyone's like, oh, aren't you guys the ones that killed the old Methodist church? Yeah. Or, so everyone blames them, even though the old church was dying and therefore had to yeah. sell, everyone blames their church, the community, we should say when we say everyone, is blaming their church for killing the old uh, Methodist church. 
Yeah, and so they they're right away they're like public enemy number one, and they're like, look, man, we got this building, and we need to know how to use it. And um and and the other problem was they move it they moved to this area, and there is not far from them a mega church, which uh, has better it, programs. It's sexier. It's bigger. It's more stuff for the kids. Got all the got all the programs, and they're like. You know, and so a lot of our people left and went there. And so Pete and I are sitting there and I'm like, well, that's good. Yeah. Right. Because those people aren't church planners. It's almost like you've got to replant your church. And so church planners, if, if you're here right now and you're like, you know, we church planted five, 10 years ago, there is a time to replant. And that might be an encouragement because you might feel, you know, kind of stuck. I believe that any established church can replant itself at any time. If it if it will approach and use the same principles, that that was the article I wrote uh, recently uh, for Exponential. Um, actually, I have a very similar article coming out in Outreach Magazine in the next month or two that that basically just says, hey, um, you know, there there are uh, survival skills for any church, but you have to keep thinking missionally. You have to keep thinking uh, as if you were a church planning church, and that will keep your church forever young. And forever vibrant and forever relevant. So, anyways, so what was cool is like you know, um, so now they're public enemy number one to the community, and they've lost like half of their congregation. And uh, and and so before I could answer, Pete kind of jumps in. Well, and but they're not they they even acknowledge that they they didn't care that they lost those people. They're like it's no, probably no, good they, that they, they left. laughed. Yeah, when I said, "Oh, good," you know, and that, that's what I mean by like they had the whole philosophy of blowing up the Death Star, right? I mean, it's like, look, if for us to reach the lost, we got to totally change how we're doing this and start over from scratch. We'll do it, and it, it should be known they're Bivo, they're Bivo family, so. Yeah. I mean, to them, it's like, all right, whatever, you know, Yeah, we got a job. Yeah, so, you know, the, uh, and, and Pete, Pete jumps in and, uh, he says, you know, um, I, I would think that you start using the building, um, you know, for community events, like what community events could you, could you start running out of the, because remember, this is a community that feels let down. Now, what was genius about that, um, and, and we'll elaborate more on that idea. What was genius about it is, you know, Pete didn't know this at the time when he's saying this, but this is exactly how uh, any any cutting edge church architect, and there's a guy named Mel McGowan. We want to have him on here. Um, he does this. But, but you build the church. If you're going to build a new building, you don't build it as a church building. In Europe now, if they get funding from, say, the European Union, um, the only way churches have learned to actually impact the community is they appeal to, to, to Europe for funds to do a community center. So that might have something like a pregnancy crisis center in it um, or a mom's, you know, single mom support office. It might have um, a place where uh, there can be classes, there can be, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, karate classes, um, soccer, indoor soccer, uh, you name it, all that kind of stuff in the community. Um, a, a mother's uh, group, because it rains all the time, you know, so there's mothers get together and chat and have coffee and the kids play, you know, and there's a playground in there. And and it's called multi-use facilities, right? 
or community space or neutral venues. Those are the terms that you hear in Europe. And it all came because there was government money that was available to those doing, you know, charitable work in the community. Well, of course, the first and foremost group is churches. But what what happened was the churches would would build these that would belong to the church as long as they serve the community. But it was almost like a church in disguise. So the church would then rent, quote unquote, uh, this multi-use facility that really belonged to them. But but that's how it looked to the outsider was that this is not a church building, but a church meets here. And right. so what you're doing is you've got traffic coming to the doors all week long, right? It is the community space. And well, because so remember that was one of the questions that I asked him. I go, "What happens on the property the rest of the the time during the week?" And I was like, right. "Well, you know, there's a Bible study on this day and a Bible study on that day, but otherwise, it it sits vacant." And so one of my comments was, "You know, if it were me, I would you know see what can I rip off this thing that signifies that it's a, a church. You know, can I rename it?" the community center uh, because the community they're in, I think they said has like eight to 10,000 people in it. And uh, you got a town that small, it's probably not going to have a community center. So, you know, one of the stories I shared is in financial planning. I, my whole business was built off of doing seminars. And if I did a seminar and said, Hey, capital Republic financial group is doing a seminar on, you know, IRAs or whatever, no one's going to come to it because they know it's a sales presentation. So what we did is we filed a DBA and we filed it for every county and we became the L.A. County Educational Institute, the Orange County Educational Institute, the uh, San Bernardino Educational County Educational Institute. And so when we would run advertisements, it's, you know, the L.A. County Educational Institute is putting on this seminar and we've Mm -hmm. got Pete Mitchell, the president of Capital Republic Financial Group, who's going to be speaking and it, the difference in the mind of the consumer is huge because they immediately go non-threatening. Okay, cool. You know, at whoever this LA County Educational Institute is, and all it was was a DBA. I mean, we did a DBA for the company, so we were legal in doing that. And so my point is, is like when you look at that facility, if you can do that as well, if you're not calling it an educational institute, but you know, some sort of community center, if you can, you know do that and put out a big sign that that's what this is. It's the community center. Now it's inviting. But if you've well, got the big cross on the building and, you know, the, the, uh, you know, Baptist church of whatever, I mean, they're not Baptist, but you know what I'm saying? It's like all of a sudden it's got a totally different feel to it, to the general public. Absolutely. And, you know, you're, you're actually, like I always say, the way to reach community is to serve community. So if you want to reach your culture, you have to serve the culture. Um, that is the, the ultimate bridge to anybody. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, that's where it starts. You start serving people. So um, when we were in the UK, you know, we'd sit down with the mayor. We'd say, what are the needs? And we didn't have a multi-use facility. We rented a multi-use facility. And so what you're actually doing is you, you are making the church that you own into a multi-use facility, something that you know is going to be far more strategic than um, just having it a cool church, you know, because the number one reason. And by the way, it also becomes an income for the church because different groups will rent it. Absolutely. And And, now you have um, money coming in. Exactly. And, you know, you're you're kind of using, um, uh, what was I going to say? 
I can't remember now. But when we're in Europe, right, for example, we did um, – uh, when we talked to the mayor, whoever it was, you know, we'd say, you know, what, what are the needs? And one of the needs was fixing meals for a single mom. Single moms did not, you know, their t- teenage pregnancies. No one had ever taught them to cook. And so now they had young mouths to feed. And, of course, they'd just go and buy the nastiest stuff because it was the cheapest. And so we started running classes because we had two she- uh, chefs, which, again, is gift-driven ministry. Um, it's one of the chapters in, in Church Zero. Cha-ching! Uh, but, you know, the the idea is that who is the Holy Spirit put in your midst? So because we had two chefs, uh, they ran these classes, these cooking classes. And that was an inroads into the, the single mother community and our neighborhood. And uh, so that's the kind of stuff that you can do. And again, like I said, um, uh, Mel McGowan, uh, one, oh, one, once you have storage uh, on your property, um, that's the big deal. That's why you don't want to rent, right? That's you don't want to rent because you can't normally have storage. Uh, to me, uh, meeting in a place is all about storage. If you're gonna, if you're not gonna be mobile, if you're not gonna have to bring a trailer up, that's the suckiest part of church planning is all the lugging equipment, right? Um, it, it's the difference between when they were the tabernacle moving through the desert and when finally they're like, let's build something out of stone and make a temple. And, you know, everybody wants to go from the tabernacle phase to the temple phase. And the only reason is so you don't got to lug it around. It's a storage issue. So once you have that, man, bring people in. Use that thing. And it was just very um, insightful, Pete, that you had mentioned that. that Like I was blown away because I'm thinking I've been in Europe. I've seen this from the other side. You know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road in America, that's going to be what we're going to be doing. Because... um, you know, it's the only way to get people through the doors of your church. Well, how can you become a pillar of the community when the community only sees you one day a week? You know, it just, you got to be more than just that one day a week destination. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, and you can even throw these things. Let's say you got a few black belts in your church. You know, it's not like you just have to rent it to the black belt community that's there. Um, you can throw your own classes, but I do think that it's more appealing to, um, you can do both. You know, I, I do think it's more appealing to actually bring in, um, the, the groups that already exist, uh, into your space, but you don't yeah. have to, like you can throw your own stuff too, is my point. And, um, well, you know, here's, here's the next thing, you know, cause one of their thoughts was they have this old church building, uh, on the property, which I guess is pretty close to the front of the property. I think they said it was a pretty good size piece of property. And, and, and it's a protected, it's a listed building. It's yeah. protected so that uh, it's a historical uh, landmark. And it actually is quite precious to the town. Yeah. So, you know, one of their thoughts was, hey, you know, maybe we turn it into a coffee house or something like that. And you thought that that would not be a good idea because the community already didn't like them. And then it's like, if you take away the church building, well, then they totally don't like you. And you had said something that really made my mind just race that night. And you had said, you know, turn it into a, a nice wedding chapel, if you will. And Yeah, because, yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to say, you know, in, in my mind, there's so much you could do with that. Because so many yeah. people want to get married in a very nice traditional uh, chapel type scenario. And if, you know, if it's uh, really painted very nice and it looks really appealing, people are going to want to come rent that out. And my thought with that was, 
gosh, you know, when Peyton preaches at weddings, I mean, uh, especially weddings of, of non-Christians, you're sharing the gospel in a way that's not like, hey, we suckered you in here. But in a way, it's like, you know, let me let me share with you, you know, the, the good news, but in a way that people want to hear it. If I don't know if that makes sense. I don't think wanting yeah, it's the right no, term. You know but. what? It's funny because so many people come to faith through um, marriage counseling, and I never marry people unless I, mar- I give them counseling. It's just I feel this personal responsibility. I would love to be the guy that races on Saturday from like wedding to wedding, you know, pocketing 500 bucks. You know, each each time, you know, maybe a, a a few thousand a month or whatever it is. I'd love to be that dude, but I'm not that dude. And 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 I just feel like when I'm marrying non-believers, it's a personal choice. My witness to them, and gosh, it gives me street credit with people because they're like, oh yeah, we called all these ministers and they want five hundred bucks, and we don't have it because you know we're getting married and we got a honeymoon and. And I just always tell them, I'll do it for free. It's it's my gift to you. And, you know, um, but I have to counsel you. You have to do marriage counseling with me. And and always the reason I do that is because I know if I can get them in counseling, I can talk to them about the Lord. So it, it always turns out being, well, you know, that's awesome. But do you guys pray to, well, okay, you're talking about every aspect of their life. And then you come to their spiritual life. You're talking about their relationship dynamics. And I always talk to them about, you know, you need the Lord um, you know, you were designed as a, a physical, a psychological, and a spiritual being. And I talk about the spiritual side. And people are really hungry for that. And so um, it, you can, I just find it's very effective at leading people to Christ. And um, so, you know, the, the last wedding I did, I did it in Newport Beach. I led the guy to Christ. Um, they moved. Like their plan was to move out of state right after. But, you know, I don't do it so they can come to my church. I do it so that you know, they, uh, you know, they'll, they'll come to faith, but if they would do that, like here, here's a strategy for them. Let's say, okay. Cause they, they got to do some damage control. They're the evil church that came in and kicked out the Methodists. Now that that's not really what happened, but that's the community perception. And so, um, they need to do some reverse, you know, damage control. Now they, they need to do some spin doctoring. And the way they can do that, the way they can make inroads to the community is they open up the new building, right, to the community by saying, and by the way, they're in the middle of three towns. So they're kind of out. They said, you know, we're a little bit off, you know, um, you know, uh, there's three communities technically around us. And so they go to this, you know, uh, they go to these communities and they advertise, look, we're going to use, we have this campaign, we're going to use the new building to fund the repairing and restoration of the old building. Now suddenly they're mm. the church that cares about the community and we're going to open it up and all the funds that go, you know, like you talked about an income, goes towards fixing up the thing for a wedding chapel because we realize what an important historical landmark this is and it's part of the identity of this community in town and blah, blah, blah. Now they're the good guys, right? So now they've done advertising. They've shown themselves to be the good guys. They've won themselves into the graces of the other people. People start saying, oh, these guys are pretty cool, actually. Um, maybe they're not who we thought. And as they're building these relationships, they're able to say in conversations, yeah, hey, we felt really bad for the Methodists. You know, we definitely didn't want to, 
take advantage. We saw it as our responsibility. We're coming in here and we're gonna we're gonna help preserve this. You know that church wasn't able to. Now we see it as that's part of our mission here, is to preserve this for the community. It's part of the community's identity, and we love this community, and we want to serve this community. And so now this gives them that that building becomes a vehicle for them to reverse the perception of the community. Yeah. And, you know, one of the other issues that they had that uh, I just remember so distinctly because I've run into this so many times in business. But, um, you know, they talked about their their elders and, you know, they had one elder specifically that was um, just didn't really seem to be as gung ho about where they were going and what they were doing as they wanted. And um, I just remember sharing from my own standpoint, because when I hear stuff like that, I immediately think to my businesses. And when I'm in a business where all the employees, the sales employees, that is, are commission only, it's essentially a volunteer army. Yeah. Because every day they wake up, they're unemployed. They got to go out there and get a sale or they don't eat. Mm-hmm. And volunteering at a church where you're not getting a paycheck, it's the same thing. It's a volunteer army. So what I realized is that, you know, in leading teams, you have to become really good at setting the vision. And if people won't go with you, if they won't get a hold of that, and if they aren't motivated themselves to get up every morning and go out and make it happen. I, one of the things that I just learned, and I, I, this is the way I describe it. I go, I will never drag someone across the finish line ever again. Yeah, You're I'm either going to go on your own or forget it. You're out. Because yeah. I don't have time to give you motivation. I'll give you vision. I'm going to get I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. I'll give you instruction. I'll tell you what I want you to do, but in the end, you got to do it cuz I can't make you do it. And I just won't drag Absolutely. them across the finish line. You're either in it or you're not. And that that's a really hard lesson to learn, I think for church planners because when you're church planning, you need people to be all in. Like you need them to be all in, you know, not not uh like like David Platt said, the question you ask isn't you know, what's this going to, you know, how much is this going to cost or how much is it going to cost me? The question that you ask is what's it going to take? And there's world's difference between those two questions. Yeah. Uh, Someone who's an elder who ought to be an elder, who, who has the right to lead is the guy who's like, Hey, what's it going to take? And, you know, uh, I can't remember who said it. I I read it when I was at exponential. I, I, you know, I was reading something in the morning and uh, some book and it said, you know, more people are one higher away or one, one fire away from success than they are one higher away yeah. from success. So most people, it's it's not that they need to hire the right people to get them where they're going. It's that they they may need to fire <laughs> the wrong people. You know what I mean? So so they're they're one fire away from success. You know. Well, you know, the interesting thing is. Away. We, we find that very same thing in business with our clients to have a really great business means you've got to get rid of the bad clients. And most businesses are deathly afraid of doing that for almost the same reason that most churches are afraid of turning away tithers because we see it as income. Like when we fire a client, it's like we now I'm going to lose that income from that client. And it's the same thing with churches where they're like, oh, you know, I really don't want to tell this person, you know, this isn't the right situation for them. I don't, I don't want them to get mad and take away their, their tithe and blah, 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 blah. But like you said, sometimes that's the best thing that you can do for your church is cut them loose, free them up to go on to another church, promote them to another church, if you will. 
and it's hard when you like the person because you know I I had a worship leader in one of my church plants who just could not get the vision. I thought I thought they got the vision. I thought they understood. And it was a lot of the stuff in Church Zero. And and ironically, it's not like, you know, I come in there and I'm like, look, this is the vision that God's given me. Literally, the vision was, um, it ain't about me. You know, they wanted a, a, past, a pastoral personality, a real strong leader. And of course, here's me coming in going, hey, guys, it's, it's not about me at all. It's about the guys I'm going to equip so that we can multiply, you know, and keep planning out. And they could not get on board with that vision. And I, I could just see at a certain point. And they had to go. You know, I didn't fire them, but, uh, you know, um, it just became almost impossible to serve with them because, you know, they, they found fault with every little thing that we did. And it just, like you said, it was almost like a wet blanket on anything. You know, it changed the atmosphere of everything we did. Um, and, and again, like I said, it was, you know, it was because I didn't want to be the dude, you yeah. know, and uh, and so you know it's important that people do have the vision for for what you're what you're doing and, and where God's calling you. So, um, anyways, you know, want to give Doug and Lisa uh, a, a special thanks. Ask you guys to pray for them, but also you know they, we told them we were going to share on the podcast, and they very graciously allowed us to to use them as an example, you know, to share their story and their 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 challenges and and the strategies that, that, that we've given them. Yeah. And you know, the other thing too, that I'll just throw on at the end that I was so impressed with, like that honestly made the trip for me was meeting Doug and Lisa yeah. because, you know, we get this email after we meet with them <laughs> and Pete, you too had a great idea, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, the thing that I, I just was so impressed by them is, you know, what did they do? They drove back an hour, hour and a half, whatever it is, back to their town, and they drive straight to the church, and they pray over the property again. Yeah. And to me, I was like, I, these guys get it. I mean, how can you have planted this church 10 years ago, grown it up to the size that you have, and yet your your passion is still so, you know, we want to reach the lost. Yeah. And I, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm impressed by that because I don't see it very often. And to me, honestly, that that's what made the trip for me. That's where I was like, all right, this was a good trip. This was, this yeah. was a worthwhile trip. Well, because I think you and I both said, didn't we, that hey, we may not go next year. You know, I mean, if they have me on main stage or something, I, you know, I'd probably go. But I think we both said, hey, you know, it's probably, it's probably not. You know, jokingly enough, someone, someone asked me. They, they emailed me this week and said, hey, Peyton, what's the best church planning conference out there? And I said, I'll email you when Pete and I throw it. <laughs> Uh, but I agree with you. I, I, and this is this is what you know. This is what I do. This is kind of you know. It's mentoring. It's coaching. It is you, rightfully so, Pete, because uh, that's an area that, uh, that of what I do that you haven't really you know come into yet. But that was a real cool opportunity for you to be a part of that. Um, you know, it's almost kind of like you know where you do the business roundtable, and I always tell Pete, I want to peek in on that. And Pete's like, no. And, uh, you know, but this was kind of, this was like my world, you know, this is, this is what I do. And, and, uh, this will be something in future. Uh, I don't think we're going to let the cat out of the bag just yet, but we are going to be opening something like this up for, uh, all of our listeners and beyond, you know, for people that want this kind of coaching and mentoring. Um, it is something that we will be doing in future. Um, on a side note, uh, those of you who, 
uh, have followed the blog or read the book and want to hear more stuff. A lot of my books start off as blogs, um, you know, just things that, that little kernels and seed ideas. Check out newburychurchplanning.com. The site's got an overhaul. Um, I'm more excited about it. Is it newburychurchplanning.com? Yeah, it's got a couple. That's one of the, it can be newbreedcp.org or newbreedchurchplanning.com. And newbreedchurchplanning.com is just easier to remember. So uh, if you guys head on over there, uh, (laughs) newbreedchurchplanning.com, sometimes I say newbreedcp.org just because it's like easier to write and I'm lazy. But uh, newbreedchurchplanning.com, you can go on there and you'll see I'm blogging like crazy on there right now. So that's it, guys. Thanks for uh, tuning in today. Thanks for joining us on the Church Planner Podcast. And we're reminding you that if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. 